The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. In order to support our show, we need the help of some great advertisers. And we want to make sure those advertisers are ones that you'll actually want to hear about. But we need to learn a little bit more about you to make that possible. So... Go to podsurvey.com slash goodfootball and take a quick anonymous survey that will help us get to know you better. That way, we can bring on advertisers you won't want to skip. Once you've completed the quick survey, you can enter for a chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card. Terms and conditions apply. Again, that's podsurvey.com slash goodfootball. G-O-O-D-F-O-O-T-B-A-L-L. Thanks for your help. friends, welcome to another episode of the Roto World Football Podcast. I'm Josh, that's John. Daigle, how are we? Doing great. How are you doing? I'm wonderful. Uh, I'm so fantastic, in fact, that it's because that NBC Sports is just a, such a supportive place. Mm-hmm. You know, this really, and you've only been here a couple months, but it really is a office that really tries to lift up everyone around them. Are you trying to get a raise? What are you doing here? No, what I am doing, and there is an end goal here, is to really highlight Chris Sims. Because what Chris Sims has done to promote this podcast, I mean, the reads could not be more excellent. In fact, Daigle, we have a little soundbite oh, really? of a recent Chris Sims read of the Rotor World Football Podcast. Josh Norris has a big neck, just like mm-hmm. Tyreek. Oh, he does. Yeah, he it's does, a just like neck. Lamar Jackson. You're right. Yeah, You're really right. big neck. It's not Lamar Jackson-ish, but mm-hmm. big for, like, some guy who sits next to a computer all day. Because you've got to have good head posture. You've got to make sure not to lean over. Yes. He does a very good job of that. Very good job. Yep, whenever someone can promote <laughs> how good the podcast is, it's all because of my big neck. <laughs> Josh North has a big neck, thus listen to the Roto World podcast. If there's anything that makes you want to listen to a podcast, it's a physical explanation of someone's appearance. If you could ever say anything good about Chris, it's that he is Chris all the time. There, he is. That is, that Unequivocally is who he is Chris. all the time. Energetically John, unequivocally Chris. And if I can say something, there's more than just my neck that I have in common with Lamar Jackson. I was a demon on the sixth grade recess field in flag football. Mm. All-time quarterback, just running, skirting around people, scoring touchdowns. You were a little Cam Newton or Lamar Jackson. Oh, that was my peak of my athletic accomplishments, as Chris and East knows from the uh, NBC Sports Flag Football League. It was was Cam Newton under center at that time, or who was it? That was sixth grade, dude. <laughs> I forget. That was sixth grade. I'm bad with piecing years together. Shout out Michael Mitchell, John Slaughter, Michael Tucker, Rally Killian. Those were my, that was my team. Oh, okay. Yeah, those guys. Okay. All right. Uh, it's a loaded episode. Again, thanks, Chris, for that shout out. Appreciate it. Uh, it's a loaded episode. It's our preview episode. Later on, we'll welcome Patrick Doherty on the show. We will welcome 
uh, Hayden Winks on the mm -hmm. show. But as it always is on this Thursday slash Friday episode, Daigle, you and I start with the first three games of the weekend, and let's kick it off with the Los Angeles Rams visiting the Pittsburgh Steelers with the Rams as three-and-a-half-point favorites in this game, a total of 44. The Rams are coming off a bye, and the Steelers, Daigle, have won their last three games thanks to necessarily last week, a missed field goal by Adam Vinatieri against the Indianapolis Colts. I know Steelers fans were excited about that win, but it took not only a last-second missed field goal, but a third-string quarterback coming in to barely beat the Colts. We were curious if Mason Rudolph's performance against the Dolphins was a changing of the guard over their 14-day extended rest, or if it was just because they played the Dolphins. And honestly, it turns out it's they, because they played the Dolphins. Under five yards per attempt, scared to go downfield once again. In this matchup in particular, you'll have Jalen Ramsey on Juju Smith-Schuster. It's quite terrifying for the Steelers' offense that has not shown us any confidence outside of playing subpar, if not mm. the worst teams in the league offensively. And these teams have a very similar record. The Rams are 5-3 and three entering this one with going on a two-game winning streak prior to their bye. And the Steelers, once again, are 4-4. Four and four. It's a really pivotal game for the Steelers. After this, they have the Browns, the Bengals, and the Browns again, the Cardinals. Their schedule gets a little easier as we go along. This is a Steelers team that is getting better. Their defense is very good. Minka Fitzpatrick, you know, I don't like to say we made fun of that trade. We just questioned that trade mm -hmm. because the team was so bad. It was without their quarterback. It was with Mason Rudolph, who's still playing poorly, in my opinion, as we head on. But what Minka Fitzpatrick has done to this defense is, is fantastic. He's playing really good in that deep safety role. He's stopping all of these deep passes. And so it will be interesting to watch how the Rams respond. They will be without Brandon Cooks. We know that prior to the buy in London, they had Cooper Cup running all over yep. the Cincinnati Bengals. What are you expecting from this Rams offense? So that Steelers defense you mentioned is now the number two fantasy defense since they swapped for Minka Fitzpatrick uh, behind the New England Patriots, of course. But for the Rams offense, I would imagine it's still business as usual. Josh Reynolds is going to be the flex option without Brandon Cooks available as he was in on 89% of their snaps before the bye in London, uh, 373 and a touchdown in that game. But it still falls to Cooper Cup, who's the number one receiver, top 15 option the rest of the season, right. given his team high target share. Robert Woods to a lesser extent. And then Gerald Everett, who was next to Brandon Cooks in air yards over the past month as they continued instilling him more in the offense. I would imagine that's the guy who gets a a direct uptick even further than Brandon, Brandon uh, Robert Woods, actually. Robert Woods. Yeah. Bobby Woods. Bobby Woods. Yeah, there you go. This Rams team, I'm not sure if we know completely their identity. Because prior to that two-game winning streak against the Falcons and the Bengals, which basically any good team should beat up on those two squads, they were on a three-game losing streak. Shockingly, I think this Rams defense has surprised a lot of people. Right now, they're fourth in defensive DVOA. It's led by Aaron Donald. Eric Weddle's played really well. Corey Littleton's playing really well. Michael Brockers, Dante Fowler, they're getting Clay Matthews back in this game. I, I'm a little nervous that this is going to be a blowout. I know it's only three and a half points, but I could just see Mason Rudolph <laughs> letting it go in the pocket, yeah. not knowing what he's looking at, just being scared looking down the field, 
And that Aaron Donald, Michael Brockers, Fowler, Clay Matthews combination, just giving him fits all day along with Jalen Ramsey taking away his number one option. And Clay Matthews should be back as well. Right. Uh, Chris Wessling from the Around the NFL podcast is just Good people rem- over there. Absolutely. I love listening to them. Just remains adamant, though, that Devlin Hodges remains the best quarterback on this team and should be starting moving forward. And he has a point. If you are box score searching, though, if you say, oh, they're going to get blown out, thus Daryl Henderson would come in because Daryl Henderson, if you're just box score searching, as I said, out-snapped and out-touched Todd Gurley in that last game. But also Todd Gurley went off the field mid-third quarter whenever they went up two scores early and then led to Daryl Henderson playing more. The issue is that Malcolm Brown is expected back who missed their past two games. So what happens behind Todd Gurley even though Daryl Henderson rakes top five in yards after contact per attempt? And that's something to monitor as opposed to bet on because I don't think Daryl Henderson takes that role fully on. In a perfect world, Daigle, how would you want them to utilize Daryl Henderson? I would say the same as they did last game. Okay. Go ahead and let Todd Gurley do all the work, and then around, you know, you get up by a touchdown or perhaps more, and then you don't play Todd Gurley at all, which is what I assumed would happen the entire season. Yeah. But then they used Malcolm Brown in that role. It didn't go well, so they instead benched Malcolm Brown and started using Todd Gurley more, led to Todd Gurley getting injured, and now we got one game of Daryl Henderson being used like that. But we're going to see if they just turn that role from Henderson into a multi-role with Malcolm Brown as well. If I could envision the Steelers keeping this one close, it's by their defense, who has also played very well, as we talked about, um, giving this Rams offensive line fits. And a lot of teams have been giving this Rams offensive line fits. Andrew Whitworth is very good at left tackle, but like Brian Allen, Joe Noteboom, who has been hurt at times this year, um, the rest of their offensive line has not really played that well at all. In fact, they've played poorly. And Bud Dupree heading into a contract year has played exceptional football. And uh, we are expecting James Conner probably back on. He's, lim- he's been limited in practice, yeah. and so limited isn't as bad as he, doubtful or questionable or anything like that. The, like you said, the blowout is a concern and would take Conner off the field. Uh, Jalen Samuels, though, would go from an RB1 to a flex option. 37% target share last week. 13 receptions last week. Just insane. So he goes to a flex option if Connor plays because they would stubbornly play Connor as much as they possibly can. Right, yeah, 13 receptions for Jalen Samuels last week. I think the next one up was Vance McDonald with five receptions. That's not a recipe to beat the Los Angeles Rams. All right, next game. It is the Carolina Panthers at the Green Bay Packers. Four and a half spread in this one. Packers favored 47 total. The Packers are 7-2. and two. The Panthers off their win against the Tennessee Titans are 5-3. and three. Obviously, big news this week. Cam Newton is headed to injury reserve or is already there. That means it's Cal Allen's team for the rest of the regular season. Uh, I say Cal Allen's team when it's really not. I mean, it's Christian McCaffrey's team. It's the defense's team. It's North Turner putting him in rhythm and allowing him to succeed in structure in phase, uh, do we think that's enough to topple the Packers who laid an absolute egg last week against the Chargers? Yeah, so I, it's, I just chalk it up. What did you see from that game? Because I just talked it up as just one bad game. It didn't make any sense. Like, it doesn't make any sense, but the Chargers defense is also quietly getting better. That's sure. why That's why I just thought, okay, one bad egg. We talked about this in the office last week. You looked at it and you're like, Daigle, does this line make any sense? And I said, no, it doesn't, but that's how betting works. It doesn't make sense, and then suddenly it makes sense on Sunday. And like you said, that it was just a complete dud against a Chargers offense that looked somewhat better. But, yeah, I, I would expect they come out. The issue with Aaron Jones in the backfield now is that 
it, it happened as we expected. Devontae Adams came back, wasn't so much limited. 42 of 50 snaps, a 31% target share, team high. Whereas then Aaron Jones, who had a 21% target share the past month without Devontae Adams, plummeted to an 11% target share. Mm -hmm. And so uh, now Devontae Adams is back just to take more targets away. I think you can only confidently start Adams. Uh, you were still starting Aaron Jones, the top 18, top 20 option in his position, just because you know he will still get a few targets sprinkled in. But other than that, the rest is a mess because not only did Alan Lazard not take over as the number two receiver, he played behind MVS and Geronimo Allison just enough to cannibalize from them. Well, and there really wasn't a number two wide receiver. Yeah. Devontae Adams basically got the Randy Moss All treatment. Of of we're going to throw you every single pass that we possibly can to try to get you in rhythm and get this offense started. He had 11 targets, seven receptions, but it only went for 41 yards. I even went back and watched that Packers game twice. Just try to get a feel for why did this happen? Because you couldn't take anything from it on a first watch. Did you learn anything? I didn't. I rewatched it too, and I didn't learn a, a thing. What I have learned, though, is that interior offensive line had a really down moment, a really bad moment. Like mm -hmm. David Bakhtiari is still fantastic. Brian Belaga is still good at right tackle, but on the interior for the Panthers, there are no Joey Bosa's out there. There are no Melvin Ingram's yeah. when circling inside. Um, this Panthers defense is good, but they aren't as good as those individual players that the Chargers have. I wouldn't be surprised if we see Matt LaFleur, who has worked with Kyle Shanahan in the past, use some of those run game elements that the 49ers did, even though that's not really their style, but those elements that the Panthers had such difficulty on in the ground game and do that with Jamal Williams, do that with Aaron Jones in this game, and try to get their offense restarted in that manner. It's the same thing the Titans should have done, but the Titans over th outthought themselves. No, but I just they don't think the Titans are that way because Derrick Henry is not that type of back. But they only gave Derrick Henry two first half touches when awful. they should have just pounded him up the middle one week after the Niners exposed that front seven of uh, the rushing defense. But for Green Bay now, they rank second to last in yards per play allowed since week four. Uh, and that should bode well for Kyle Allen, should bode well for, as we know, Christian McCaffrey, you're starting him every week anyways. But yeah, hopefully another week where DJ Moore and Curtis Samuel both get involved. DJ Moore, who's slowly breaking out as Kyle Allen's favorite target. That was the Packers' first loss in five games. I don't think we should be down on them because of it. Like I said, it's just a dud. I'm, it's just a dud. It happens to every team. And we know that if a team gets up early on the Panthers, then it's not really their style to come back and try to win right now. Again, it's Norv Turner trying to call almost a perfect game for Kyle Allen to execute and the Panthers trying to keep a clean pocket. And while the Packers defense has completely fizzled, they still do have individual talents. Darius Smith is playing well. Preston Smith is playing well. Kevin King on the outside. Jerry Alexander. Like These are the types of players that can have individual games and individual moments, even as a collective, if they aren't doing fantastic. Yeah, and Greg Olson for the Panthers as well, he hasn't caught over 55 yards in oh, five he's, games. He's just on the decline. Like, it's, it's that, the that's the all road. it is, because his usage hasn't changed. He's run over 30 routes his last three games, but less than 55 yards in the last five games. It's just an aging player like Fitzgerald who's still out there getting the same type of usage. Let's turn to Sunday Night Football. It's the 6-3 and three Minnesota Vikings traveling to the Dallas Cowboys, who are 5-3. and three. Dallas, three-point favorites at home, 47.5 total in this one. Hey, Daigle. It's prime time Kirk Cousins, and prime time Kirk Cousins has been bad, and Kirk Cousins has been bad against teams with winning records. This comes from Rich Rebar. He's 6-28 and 28 in his career against teams with a winning record, and we know the Cowboys have that at 5-3. and three. And not only that, but Michael Bennett as well looked great in his debut with the Cowboys. Like, uh, Jalen Smith has seemed like he's hit himself back into the season. It took a while there, but the past two games, he's popped out of the tape. Uh, 
whether they have Leighton Vander Esch or not, we saw Sean Lee make a big per, or, uh, yeah, have, a, have, have a big performance. And obviously, he's only he's dealt with injuries. That's why he's been so – he's been held back and limited. Right, and Jalen Smith and LVE are just more athletic, younger players. And yeah, when dispersed, though, at a limited fashion, Sean Lee is still Sean Lee. Correct. But – behind better players. And he can stop the run, which is going to be very necessary against this Minnesota Vikings offense. Same thing the Chiefs did last week. They somehow stumped Dalvin Cook to just around 70 yards rushing. But I would not think – do you think that happens again? Because I don't, I don't know if they – Well, I think that Mike Zimmer goes back to the drawing board. He's like, oh, look, we've been relying on Kirk so much, and look what happened to us this past Sunday. Yeah. Now we're going to go back to the running game. The issue with that is Kirk Cousins still is going to have to make throws. And it's come a lot off play action. It's come a lot off rolling him outside the pocket. The issue is he's not going to have Adam Thielen in this game, and mm-hmm. it's going to be Stephon Diggs solely. And – you know, last week, B.C. Johnson stepped up, Irv Smith stepped up, yeah. Kyle Rudolph, Laquan Treadwell stepped up on third down, which is wild to say in week nine of the NFL season. Um, but I'm not sure if they'll be able to do that against the, the Cowboys. Look, we talked about there are teams that start gelling in certain areas that have been deficient earlier in the season. And I think that's with the Cowboys defense. I think that they are able to rush the passer a lot better now. Their talented linebackers are playing better. They have Byron Jones who can match up one-on-one against wide receivers. Stephon Diggs can get the better of him. It will be on a consistent basis. And will Kirk Cousins not succumb to this big game dynamic that is happening this week because he has done that his entire career? It is good news, though, if you think this is a truly competitive game because Dalvin Cook in a one-score game against the Chiefs last week played a season-high 80% of their snaps. And then also Ezekiel Elliott. I was watching that game, and I kept saying to myself, that seems like a lot of Tony Pollard. Like, that is too much Mm. Tony Pollard on the field right now. And it did take away from Zeke's targets. Didn't have a single target in that game, but he had six and a half the two games prior. So you go back to Ezekiel Elliott. Do we think they're playing Tony Pollard a little bit more because Zeke just doesn't have – that explosive element to his game anymore? Because that's what I see when I watch him. Like, you see against the Giants when he has a lane that's created to the second or the third level, and there's just like a safety sitting there. I'm not saying that Zeke is a bad or below average or even average football player. He's still a fantastic runner. Mm-hmm. But so much of it is him plowing over defenders now at the second level or just picking up those final few yards. And he's not someone that's necessarily creating these massive big plays that we see someone like Dalvin Cook making on a weekly basis. I think Tony Pollard helps if you sprinkle him in, same as Blake Jarwin, who now has three touchdowns on 12 catches. That's but a phrase I thought you would never say in your life. Blake Jarwin looks explosive. But I understand that Jason Witten is still the guy you need to move the chains, uh, even though he's 37-year-old and Blake Jarwin still offers something. But... Yes, Tony Pollard and Blake Jarwin a little bit actually open up the offense more. And Kirk Cousins wasn't bad, but he has to get like, back good, to though. his MVP form. Yeah, he wasn't good. When, that he was on for that three or four game streak. Uh, and Dak has just one week lower than quarterback 13 on the season. Again, this is a Vikings defense that's very talented. I, the pass rushers, their corners have been the letdown. The corners have been a drastic letdown. Even and last week Rhodes we know that bullied. and we know that Harrison Smith and and Harris, what's his, Anthony Harris, uh, made awful tackle attempts on Damian Williams yeah. at a long touchdown run. That cannot happen against the Cowboys. This is a team in the Cowboys that was able to battle back at times a season, even when down and giving up turnovers early. They won't be able to do that against the Vikings. I would think the trickle down goes Stephon Diggs, then Herb Smith, who projects for four to six targets without Adam Thielen, and then Ola B.C. Johnson, and then Kyle Rudolph, who's touchdown or bust. Dago, what do you say we bring on Patrick Doherty? Why not? Why not? Pat writes the <laughs> rankings on Roto World. Go and check those out. Again, that is rotoworld.com. Pat, let's talk 
about the Kansas City Chiefs visiting the Tennessee Titans. It's the first game you picked this weekend. Tennessee's four and five after a loss to the Carolina Panthers, but they're at home here uh, against the Chiefs, who are six-point favorites, with the Chiefs getting back their quarterback in Patrick Mahomes. He's not just a quarterback. He's a, a nuclear weapon, Josh. Um, and I have no fear of Patrick Mahomes. Not that anyone has any fear of Patrick Mahomes this week, but I slotted him in immediately as the QB2. Probably should have just gone the QB1. Uh, you know, the time away might have been good. He might have got to heal up his ankle in addition to his knee. And uh, the Titans have kind of good raw numbers against the pass, but they've kind of have been performing more poorly of late, and they're actually now the 13th worst pass defense by DVOA. Uh, how do you pronounce that, by the way? I always just say DVOA. That is, well, um, there are four letters, and then you pronounce each letter. I didn't know if we'd said every letter or people had settled on, like, a pronunciation. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I didn't know if so, I didn't want to say DVOA. I'm like, what? You mean DeVoa, right? Um, but the Titans had already been kind of quietly slipping against the pass. Now they're without Malcolm Butler. You could argue that's actually a good thing, maybe. But I see uh, no reason for fear uh, with Patty Mahomes this week. Yeah, and I mean, it's a major, major boost to the offense. Even though Matt Moore has been playing well, but he's also been playing out his mind is, is Tyreek Hill completely. Mm -hmm. Daigle, you know, some people have been sitting on Miko Hardman. Some people have been sitting on Demarcus Robinson. Even a little Sammy Watkins, just a little nervous to play them. Does Mahomes getting back into the lineup open the doors for any of those players? I was going to ask Pat where he has Sammy Watkins ranked in particular because oh, that's gosh. the guy I would think it <laughs> elevates. But then again, remember, like he hasn't finished above – He's finished above wide receiver 37 on the year twice. Once in that explosive week one, right. and then last week with Matt Moore. It's almost like he's floor. a super average football player. Almost like he's on one route, really? and that's it. Yeah. yeah. Um, Pat, what about the Titans side of this? Because we know Derrick Henry put up huge numbers last week, despite only getting two first-half touches. That's ridiculous. Uh, I feel like this is one of those moments where the coaching staff of the Titans says, hey, you know what really worked for us? was Derrick Henry. You know what? I don't know why we didn't use him more in the first half. <laughs> Pat, I wouldn't be surprised, even if in down a negative game script like they were against the Panthers last week, if Derrick Henry gets 25 touches in this game. That might have been the most genuinely baffling deployment of any player all season, Derrick Henry getting only two touches in the first half. And then you know, Deion Lewis got five, and he lost a fumble on one of them. So I, I said this to you on a podcast earlier this week, but that's going to be a classic. Like The Titans have learned their lesson, I'm assuming. And the Chiefs, uh, speaking of DVOA, the Chiefs are actually all the way up to number four yep. in pass defense. And as we know, uh, much more gettable on the ground. And, yeah, a massive Derrick Henry commitment seems like a no-brainer for the Titans. And, you know, they had done that every game this season until last week. So I don't know if they were bored trying to maybe just put something different on film for opposing defenses. Whatever they were doing did not work. And yet we are going to see a clear recommitment to Derrick Henry this week. So what does that mean for Ryan Tannehill then, who quietly ranks as fantasy's quarterback five in his last three starts? It's great. He had a very Tannehillian start last Sunday against another really good pass defense in the Panthers. And this a lot, a couple of his like, he needs to trademark the underthrown deep ball. He had two or three of those last week. And I've still got him though in like the QB 16, 17 range. And that's mostly just a function of there being six teams on by and, we just talked about we know the, the best way for the Titans to move the ball is going to be on the ground, but you also have no choice but to throw against the Chiefs. So passing game volume will be there for Tannehill. And you can hang your hat on his volume alone, basically, yeah, like I said, in a week where there are six quarterbacks on by. So he's a mid-range streamer. Uh, 
not someone hopefully you're going to need a big week from. Hopefully someone you just need a floor from. Because I think a Ryan Tannehill ceiling week yeah. basically does not exist. Yeah, closing thought on this game. I, I don't think the Titans are good at football. Uh, I think Chris Jones is the defensive tackle for the Kansas City Chiefs, and his return to this lineup in this defense has been a massive boost. It's completely game-changing, and we know that the Titans' interior of their offensive line has been a major negative this year despite trying to add pieces this offseason. So it totally would not be a surprise if Chris Jones just is a complete home wrecker along that interior and just kind of busts up what the Titans are trying to do offensively. As we all know, Josh, too, Ryan Tannehill is just amazing and it's pressure, though. Right. So, right. Um, yeah. All right, let's go to the next game. Uh, this is the 2-7 and seven New York Jet Giants traveling to, well, not really traveling, but to visit <laughs> the 1-7 and seven New York Jets. Uh, this is a 42 over-under. This is a pick'em game, Pat. Uh, we look at these two quarterbacks. Daniel Jones has been pressured the most in the NFL per dropback. Sam Darnold pressured second most in the NFL per dropback. Is this coming down to possibly which defense has their best <laughs> moment in this game or which quarterback plays unlike themselves and wins against pressure in this contest? Well, the good news, so they're both getting pressured in an extremely high rate and they're both putting like horrible real life results on the page. Daniel Jones has 14 turnovers compared to 13 touchdowns and that includes uh, seven turnovers to six touchdowns over his past three starts, but he has somehow been the QB six in fantasy in that span. So, like, unlike uh, Sam Darnold, Daniel Jones is at least finding a way to translate his horrible play into fantasy relevance. And I think Daniel Jones is—I've only got him like the QB sixteen to eighteen range, but I mean he's a he's a compelling streamer this week against the Jets defense that is just no longer imposing. You know, they yeah. traded Leonard Williams to. Daniel Jones's team, uh, C.J. Mosley is nowhere to be found. Uh, Jamal Adams was banged up. I think he's playing. Tremaine Johnson, again, you could argue it's addition by subtraction, but he's out. The Jets are just in full-on collapse. Um, Daniel Jones, yeah, is translating his poor play into fantasy relevance. So I have him on the QB streaming radar this week. S- Sam Darnold, uh, I kind of said this last week. I wanted to be wrong, but there's just there's no such thing as a good matchup for Sam Darnold, yeah. basically, at this point. The Giants should be one. But there's just no such thing as a good matchup for him. Yeah, and I mean, especially with you, know, you go, Josh. Well, I'm kind of just abandoning ship on Sam Darnold, and you know, yeah. it's it's one of those players that a couple weeks ago, and I tweeted this out and talked about in the podcast that you know you look at schedules and you think that hey, how can a team play the Dolphins twice and you not want <laughs> to have that quarterback and exposure to that quarterback? Well, when Adam Gase is your head coach, who yep. the Dolphins fired, when Sam Darnold is declining in play. That's a major issue. And, Pat, there's a lot of injuries to look at here. Evan Ingram is dealing with a foot sprain. It looks like the Giants, for the first time this year, won't start the same offensive line. John Jalapio is out at center. Mike Remmers might be out at right ta- tackle. Daigle, I mean, we know we're starting Saquon Barkley. Mm-hmm. After that, though, are there any certain players on this schedule, on this game, that you feel comfortable playing? Because maybe even Le'Veon Bell doesn't fit in that right now. I mean, Le'Veon Bell, fresh off 25 touches after complaining to Adam Gase after handling (laughs) a season-low 11 touches. Uh, I mean, Le'Veon Bell, the thing is, is that they are just uninspiring carries up the middle. He's averaging, and I don't use yards per carry often because it doesn't stick, it doesn't matter at all, but 3.3 yards per carry from a very talented player because he's stuck behind this offensive line and with this coach is pretty telling, um, despite the fact that we know he's going to get over 20 touches. So it's just... 
it's just it makes them all miserable, and it's unfortunate because these were all buy low guys for the rest of the season. Right. But you cannot, you can't trust them against any defense. Pat, any names that you're intrigued by? I was gonna say Le'Veon Bell. Watch, I mean, he's they're claiming he's gonna play, but it kind of sounds like maybe he's not gonna play. By the way, which then would mean Ty Montgomery, which who has never held up under a full workload before. But I mean, I'm starting Golden Tate still. Uh, as Ian Harditz points out, he's seventh in targets uh, since returning in week five with 42. And with Evan Ingram, yeah, look, not potentially out. Evan Ingram out, Sterling Shepard out. I mean, we know Daniel Jones doesn't have to lock on to Golden Tate uh, against the Jeff Stevens. Like I so said, this being totally hollowed out by injury. Mm-hmm. So I'm still on Golden Tate. I'm probably still on Jamison Crowder. You know, he's racking up the layups in the middle of the field. He's a wide receiver three with six teams on by. Um, but yeah, there's not. Uh, I mean, Robbie Anderson, is he like, who do you even you compare can't. Robbie Anderson to? Yeah, who do you even compare him to, to at this point? Because when was the last time Ted someone Ginn? was this big of a tease? He, I mean, seriously, maybe Ted Ginn. That's actually a really good comp. Uh, early career Ted Ginn, then. It's not now respected role player Ted Ginn. Like, this is like early career bust Ted Ginn from Robbie Anderson. Um, Pat, I think that there's something there with Darius Slayton. Not that I feel yeah. like I'm going to start totally. him at all. And I, there's something there, too, with this offense on, like, the first series of games because this past weekend it looked like the Jets' offense was back, baby, against the Miami Dolphins. It was all scripted. It looked good to Jamison Crowder. Then after that, it crumbled. I mean, there is going to be chaos for whatever New York team loses this game, and I am absolutely here for it because either the Jets will be 1-8 and eight, or the it's Giants be the will Jets. be 2-8, and eight, and I cannot wait for one of those things to happen. The thing about Dan- Darius Slayton, though, is that – Daniel Jones is 5 of 30 on passes 20-plus yards downfield. So Slayton can get open. It's just a matter of Daniel Jones hitting him. All right, next up, our final game with Pat. Sad. Uh, 7-2 and two Seattle Seahawks travel to the San Francisco 49ers for Monday Night Football. That is a six-point favorite 49ers team because they are 8-0. 46 total in this one. Pat, this is the first time San Francisco has been favored since 2014. That becomes – that's a stat that's from – Rich Rebar. Um, Pat, we know that Russell Wilson is a quarterback that, like, invites pressure. But he's also someone that threw 41 passes in a loss to Baltimore, 43 passes in an overtime win to Tampa Bay Bucks, 50 passes in a loss to the New Orleans Saints. I feel like it's going to be one of those games, if the, Sa- if, if the Seahawks have a chance, where it's really going to have to be Russell Wilson's game. Yeah, whatever happened to Russell Wilson's regression, by the way, uh, Technically, his 7.5% touchdown percentage is lower than last year's 8.2, but it also leads the league. So basically, Russell Wilson seemed to have an unrepeatable 2018 in terms of efficiency and just like overall scoring production, and he is repeating it. Uh, he is the MVP favorite. And uh, it was a tough matchup, conference best defense maybe in the 49ers. But kind of like the Patriots, you know, they got off, they fattened up on a weak early schedule. They sprung some kind of major leaks. Last week to the Cardinals, um, you know, allowed an 88-yard touchdown where uh, Andy Isabella put like three or four different dudes on skates. Free Andy Isabella, uh, by the way. Um, so I'm not. I don't fear someone playing as well as Russell Wilson. Even against pressure, Russell Wilson uh, you know, is great against pressure. I mean, sometimes the kind of pressure Joey Bosa has been providing is the kind you can't play around. I mean, he's like almost been single-handedly wrecking games. But I still have Russell Wilson in the top six or seven. And uh, this is going to turn into a really long spiel here. But uh, the 49ers really uh, sprung some major leaks on the ground. They've allowed 283 yards rushing over the past two weeks, getting ripped by uh, Kenyon Drake last week. Uh, so I'm not sure if that's a great sign uh, for their defense. But, yeah, I, do, I don't really have a ton of fear. This is my long way of saying I don't, I don't have a ton of fear for the Seahawks offense in this game. 
Let's say that Josh Gordon is active on Monday night. Where are you sliding him in? Just in the wide receiver, 55 to 60 range. I'm kind of assuming Josh Gordon's initial function will be to just to take over for Jerron Brown and David Moore and hopefully not cut in to Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf's uh, target share and, you know, upside. I've said this a few times this week on a few different – it would be – Tyler Lockett, you know, gets off to this frustrating start this season kind of. He was hitting his floor every week but didn't really have a ceiling until the past two weeks. And now Tyler Lockett's like fully arrived as this wide receiver one. And his reward, of course, is the addition of Josh Gordon to the wide receiver core. And it'd just be very Seahawks to me for like to go on this journey with Tyler Lockett. And then it seems like he gets there and then they just up the difficulty level again. The Seahawks are just always upping the difficulty level, it seems like, on everyone and their offense for fantasy purposes. And it's also the first time ever I've with Josh Gordon where I've like not wanted him to do well. Like I want him to do well. But, you know, I don't want him like, usually when Josh Gordon gets somewhere, I'm like, oh, please let them feed Josh Gordon. Whereas here, my focus is please do not let Josh Gordon eat into Tyler Lockett and uh, DK Metcalf's target share because it would make me sad. Um, anyway, I've been talking for five straight minutes. And Daigle, Jimmy Garoppolo's coming off his biggest game of the season, his best game of the season. Uh, there are times when you and I have asked this question, posed this question consistently this season, where you ask him to elevate his team, the offense. Mm-hmm for one or two series at a time. He did that for almost an entire quarter um, this past week against the Arizona Cardinals, like an outside breaking route to Emmanuel Sanders. Do you think he can do that against the Seattle Seahawks defense, which, again, is not one that we necessarily fear? He looked tremendous. We kept saying that he had yet to be forced to actually be a quarterback, and yet he was a quarterback finally in that game. He literally led them to victory single-handedly, and he's done it with Emmanuel Sanders now. 14 targets to Sanders since he joined the Niners, has slowly become their true number one receiver, like we always talked about they needed from the slot. And if he's going to do it again, he will likely have no pushback from the Seattle defense that is helping elevate Russell Wilson to MVP level because they are so bad in putting that Seattle offense into this situation every single week. Uh, they only have 15 sacks on the year. They're 26 in pressure rate. Uh, they are, are 20. They're second to the bottom in, in hurry percentage, I believe. It's just this defense is not adding anyone to help them be playmakers along the stretch. They are what they are. And if Garoppolo, Garoppolo can continue uh, flourishing against them, then it should be – he should have no issues. 49ers looked their worst last week against Arizona Cardinals, probably of, of the season. And I would suggest that that was due to being on a short week. Now they have a little bit of an extended week against Seattle Seahawks. Now I think a big decision people have to make is Matt Breida versus Tevin Coleman because we've seen massive games from Tevin Coleman. Mm-hmm. We've seen big games from Matt Breida. And most recently, Breida tallied 92 yards – to just 36 for Tevin Coleman. Matt Breida out-touched Tevin Coleman. It seems like a hot-hand approach, and at any point, any one of those two running backs can go off because they're both extremely talented, and I don't know if there's even a way to read which one can go off against which team and this week against Seattle. No, Tevin Coleman blew all of this out of proportion with four touchdowns. It was always 1A and 1B. We talk about that every single week. Right. And last week, Matt Breida out-carried Tevin Coleman 15-12. to I would think it's the same thing again. Uh, but there's an efficiency element to that, isn't it? Because 15 touches for Matt Breida resulted in 92 yards. 12 resulted in 36 yards for Tevin Coleman. Tevin Coleman also, though, remember the goal line and red zone back. Yeah. So he has more value, I believe, than Breida long term. But week to week, you're still confidently starting both. Okay. All right. 
And final thought on DK Metcalf. We talked about this a lot on the Monday episode. Go back and listen to that one. I mean, he has come a long way in just a short amount of time. They're using him perfectly. I don't think it's a scare at all for someone to start him in their flex spot each and every week, even against a great defense with the San Francisco 49ers. All right, time to bring on Hayden Winks. Hayden writes the fantasy forecast column up on Roto World. Um, Hayden, let's start off with Arizona Cardinals at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Tampa Bay, four and a half point favorites here at home. 52 total, two great offenses. Kyler Murray, Mike Evans, Chris Godwin. There's been some players here, Hayden, who have been emerging. Ronald Jones, Kenyon Drake. Any read on those players that some people might want to put in their starting lineups? Yeah, so in general, we want players in this game. I think this is going to be the highest scoring game of the week. Um, the biggest news, what to do with David Johnson and Kenyon Drake. Um, I listened to a Cardinals Beat Reporter podcast, and it seems like they're under the impression that both players are going to play um, at the same time, where Kenyon Drake might have more of the rushing role, but we're going to see David Johnson moving around in motion as a receiver, and uh, that's enough for me to fire up David Johnson as a like an upside RB2. I don't think mm-hmm. we're going to see a full bell cow role, but um he he's definitely back in the lineup for me and then Kenyon Drake you can probably throw him into the flex if you need um some help with the bye week but that's that's my read on it what do you guys think it's kind of an impossible read right Tegel be like the most recent exposure we have is Kenyon Drake being that bell cow being the one that sees all the touches and doing such a good job with it but then we forget how good David Johnson looked earlier parts of the season he's been nicked up and that has hurt him and that's led Chase Edmonds to have big weeks but I'm not sure if it's even a 1A, 1B here. It's a situation we have no read of heading into this week. Yeah, the first two weeks were the horizontal raid offense. And then the next two weeks, and by the way, weeks three and four are the only weeks so far that we've had David Johnson overlap with Christian Kirk in that new running game that they uh, introduced. And so in those two games, David Johnson averaged 10 targets. If they want to do that and then treat Kenyon Drake as their Chase Edmonds, then yes, David Johnson is still extremely valuable as an RB2 because he's now a pass catching back as he was when he was arguably their best receiver. The story to follow as the season goes along, Hayden, is how Jameis Winston plays the rest of the year. Um, And if he does it well enough to earn a starting quarterback job with anyone, whether it be the Bucs, whether it be another team. Uh, The Cardinals are a defense we want to pick on, I mean, completely in basically every single area. Is this a place that you are bold enough, Hayden, to start Jameis Winston this week? Yeah, bold enough to probably rank him inside my top five this week. Oh, no. Yeah. Shepard's down yeah, my ready? spine. You guys ready for this? Uh, yeah, Cardinals are last against fantasy quarterbacks. They allow a lot of pass attempts against. Um, Winston's got five 300-yard games already. Um, I don't really see a reason why this game would be low scoring. Both of these secondaries are awful. Um, Patrick Peterson hasn't been playing as well as um, we've seen him play in the past. And when I mean, you have Mike Evans and Chris Godwin rolling out there, um, I mean, you, it, it's pretty pretty tough to stop this defense. And then maybe, just maybe, we'll get O.J. Howard back in the lineup against this uh, pass-funneling, tight-end, game-flow chart defense. Um, but we'll see. Yeah, I, I'm really bullish on Jameis Winston, really bullish on Kyler Murray. I want, and DFS, definitely want all the exposure to this game. Well, let's talk people off the ledge about Chris Godwin because Mike Evans is the one who's averaged 10 more fantasy points over the last three weeks on 15 targets per game than the next closest receiver, Kenny Galladay. 
Uh, in my mind, that screams aggression, and you're not worried about Chris Godwin. He's still gotten 10 targets in that span. So give the people a reason to go right Is back to Chris really Godwin. Is anyone really scared of Chris Godwin? I, perhaps. No. <laughs> perhaps. I think you're giving you're not giving people enough credit out there. Chris okay, Godwin's a I'm superstar. Sorry. Chris Godwin, we know Chris Godwin's a super- superstar. The, the one name I do want to ask about as we close with this game is, is Ronald, Ronald Jones. Jones? Okay. Yeah, because Ronald Jones, and sure, the Cardinals have had somewhat moments defensively with Chandler Jones up front, mm-hmm. but Ronald Jones might be entering in the second half of the season, which is vital, vitally important to winning your championship, a now bell cow back. Someone who might see 20 touches a game. Mm-hmm. And that could be Ronald Jones. Do you think he could be efficient enough here, Hayden, to possibly earn a top 20 running back week? Yeah, I mean, his efficiency numbers, like broken tackles and all that stuff, are, are pretty strong right now. Uh, so, yeah, I, I don't really see any reason to go away with it. I mean, he's earned the right to start. He's earning more snaps. So, yeah, I think I have him for, like, 15 to 18 touches. I don't think it's going to be, like, a crazy amount of workload. But yeah. when you get 13, 18 touches against the Cardinals, I mean, you're locked into RB2 range easily. Next game is another 1-7 team that, we, like we talked about with the Jets earlier. This time is the Atlanta Falcons. Uh, they are 12 and a half point road dogs here to the New Orleans Saints. Expect to score over 31 points, the Saints are, a total of 51. Hayden, we do get Matt Ryan returning. We know that this Falcons offense is still putting up points and yards despite their atrocious defensive play. But is this a game where you might have to rely on garbage time situations, which is something that we never really want to go into a week hoping for, even despite it being talked about so often, because the Saints are coming off a bye. They are getting Alvin Kamara back. We know that Drew Brees returned prior to the bye. I mean, everything is lining up for the Saints to cover that 12.5 point spread this week. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the Falcons are only projected 19 points. That's a concern. Matt Ryan's been super consistent when he's been playing. But I think playing volumes just or passing volume is going to be a concern here. If the Saints jump out to a big lead, which I, I am expecting, Alvin Kamara, Latavius Murray, they can start draining out the clock. And the Saints defense right now is playing really, really well. Um, I still want Matt Ryan starting my season-long leagues, um, but I would not be expecting like the classic Falcons-Saints 60-point games here. Where do you think the trickle-down then goes to the Falcons receivers since we are expecting this one to be a blowout? Yeah, I mean, Julio is Julio Jones. Um, Ian actually, Ian Harditz had um, a Uh-oh. good, yeah, who's that guy? <laughs> uh, but he had a good analysis on what the Saints have been doing against Julio and Calvin. And they're, they, they've been putting Marshawn Lattimore on Calvin and then putting the second corner with a safety over the top on Julio. Um, I kind of like that idea, but it hasn't been working against them. I think Calvin's definitely the riskier play, but I would still call him wide receiver three. Julio, we, we all know, is top end uh, wide receiver one. Yeah, whatever rookies the Falcons are trotting out along their offensive line, you can guarantee that the Saints are going to blitz, mm-hmm. are going to attack yep. those poor offensive line spots. It's going to be a long day, long day for the Falcons here because the Saints, I mean, they are one of the more balanced teams. I feel like whenever a team goes on a bye, we forget how good they are, and the Saints are one of the best teams in the league, and they're only getting better, it seems like, as the season goes on. They all come back healthy, yep. All right, let's close this week out with the Miami Dolphins at the Indianapolis Colts. You know, Hayden, each week, I line it up, and I say, hey, Hayden, these are the three games that Pat picks. You can have whatever other three you want, (laughs) and you chose the Miami Dolphins facing the Indianapolis Colts, a Colts team that might not have Jacoby Brissett, might be starting Brian Hoyer, yet they still are expected to start twenty er, to score 27 points. They are 5-3 and three on the season, and the Dolphins are coming off their first win of the year. Yeah, so the reason why I picked this game is everyone knows who their fantasy starters are, and basically everyone in this game is kind of these flex options. Should I start them? Should I not? 
So we have no more Mark Walton. So then you have Kalen Balaj, Miles Gaskin at uh, running back for the Dolphins. I'm basically avoiding them. Devontae Parker and Mike Gusecki are guys that I think should be starting to get uh, more and more love. Devontae Parker, without Preston Williams, had his two best games earlier in the season. Uh, Preston Williams, just he's given up 30% of the air yards, 20% of the targets, 39% of the red zone targets. So I think there's a path to Devontae Parker being a wide receiver three down the stretch. And then on the other side, no T.Y. Hilton means Zach Pascal's jumping into the, the number one role over there. He's been really strong all year, almost averaging 12 yards per target. Um, so that's somebody I want to be starting as well. And then, of course, Marlon Mack is definitely the the guy with a huge lead, um, basically jumping him back into like the low-end RB1 mix for me. Jack Doyle outsnapped Eric Ebron last week, as we expected. Do you think yep. that continues moving forward? Because not only are they missing T.Y. Hilton, they're also missing Paris Campbell. Yes. So I, I put both of them on the, like, the tight end one, two borderline. I think Doyle, if you like need like six or seven points, I would rather go with him. But like in DFS tournaments and stuff, Ebron's definitely the guy um, using him more down uh, down the field and then obviously in the red zone. But both of them are in the streaming mix. I feel bad for whoever gets this game on Sunday to cover for us. Who do we think is going to get it? Like, let's get the prediction. No, hopefully Me. Pat gives it to himself. <laughs> do you know, I think Anthony gets it. Oh, I, I think Anthony so. gets it. That's fair. That that would not be the biggest or Jesse. Anthony or Jesse's going to get this game. Well, unfortunately, because Pat is just a maniacal jerk being. Anyways, <laughs> he walks that's around with us. his headphones and talking. I deserved it since I picked it. I'm gonna I'm gonna text Pat after this one. And be like, you know what? Hayden just really wants to watch the Miami Dolphins this week against the Brian Hoyer led Colts. Wow. Let's go. No one wants to watch that one. All right, guys, that's it for us. We'll be back Sunday for Roto World Live. Patrick Darty's in studio with me and John Daigle. Um, as always, if you enjoy these episodes, be sure to rate and review, subscribe, helps us out. Forgot to mention that like what Chris Sims said at the top, that's from the Chris Sims Unbuttoned podcast. Go on to listen to that one as well. Chris does a great Save job. Save his promotion at the end. It's fun. Yeah, well, we are at the end. This is over. <laughs> this is it. All right, guys. Talk to you all soon. See ya. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.